Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I am your host, Hillary Jones. So it's been a little while since we've had an episode here, and there's been a good reason for that. I have been prepping specifically for this one. So personally, since the last episode, I went to NAM, went to DC, volunteered at Riot's Youth Rock Camp, ran a bunch of trainings, and went to the Midwest to hang with my family for a minute. And it has been a lot. It's been an active summer, which is great. Uh, and, you know, the world also, it's been a lot, maybe less great, but here we are. So with all of that, I, for one, have been very happy that I've been able to play music a bit more lately. And if you're listening to this, there's a pretty good chance that you also know the power of music. And, you know, it can help express emotion. It can help you deal with hard things in the world. It can help bring people together and act. It can really do just so much. And, you know, Music Gear provides the tools that can help us further and hone that expression, creativity, collaboration, action, right? But unfortunately, a lot of folks are pushed out because uh, uh, they just, you know, they, they don't feel like they can become musicians or they can't develop a connection to Music Gear because of their experience in Music Gear spaces. This can lead people to, you know, also make pe- make purchasing decisions based on their own experience with brands or stores or in the ways that they see those companies treat others. They're, these are sort of the overarching results from the Gender and Music Gear Experiences report, which I've been mentioning for a minute here on the podcast and, um, and beyond. So I will say, as Philippe from Caroline Guitar Company said when his wife asked what the results of the survey are like. And here's what he had to say about that. So I just wanted to add one more thing. Um, my wife asked what I was doing recording, and I said, oh, I had gotten this uh, interesting survey data from a consultant who is looking at gender experiences in our industry. And she said, how'd that data look? And I said, it looks like a murder scene. It basically makes our industry look like it's stuck halfway between John Wayne and Al Bundy. (laughs) We both started laughing and I said, I need to send that answer. So thanks to Philippe for that. Well, many of us know this from experience, right? The the results of the report reinforce and provide further support for these experiences. So, you know, understanding what's happening is especially crucial at a time when people are, you know, told to believe that, you know, gender is quote unquote no longer an issue. And at the same time, many rights are being questioned or taken away based on gender and gender identity. So These issues are sort of then further amplified and complicated for folks with multiple marginalized identities. And, you know, the results of the report also support other recent music year related reports, including the 2016 Fender study that found that 50 percent of new guitars are bought by women. And that the recent find my guitar research finding that only two percent of signature guitars are for musicians who are women or non-binary folks. So. Just a couple of related issues that have come up moderately recently as well. And obviously the Fender study is mentioned a number of times in uh, upcoming interviews here as well. So, you know, another issue is that an influx of options are really available at customers' fingertips at this point, right? So they're making choices based on their alignment with company values. They know 
that they can go elsewhere, go online, or easily find a product from another company. Employees also are making decisions to work for companies that reflect their values, and it's up to companies then to decide whether they want to move forward, get stuck in the past, like a digital rack unit from 1990. First, I'm going to start with some background about the report, a few key statistics and findings, and then I'll share some of the responses to these key findings from folks at NAM and in the broader gear community, and a little bit about what folks can do to address the issue. Okay, so results from the Gender and Music Gear Experiences report, there were nearly 1,000 participants, 996 to be exact, from around the world. Um, respondents were 72% cis men, 20% cis women, and 8% were trans or non-binary. 81% were white, 19% were people of color. 39 countries were represented with 76% of the respondents in the U.S., 43% of the folks who participated uh, identified as hobbyists, 40% semi-professional and 17% professional, 69% identified as guitarists, 13% as bassist, and 18% had other primary instruments. And, you know, there were many findings from the study, of course, and you can read the entire document on my website in forms ranging from three pages to 24 pages, depending on your attention span and how much you want to read about participants' qualitative responses or a little more detail. And you can access that at hillarybjones.com, and I'll have a link in the show notes as well. All right. So... Today, I'm going to start with the four key findings, which are the same findings I shared with the folks who I interviewed for this episode. So while 93% of cis women and 79% of trans and non-binary musicians report having experienced unfair or differential treatment as a result of their gender in a music store, only 16% of cis men reported that experience. Only 10% of cis men responded that they have ever experienced unwanted sexual comments in a music store compared to 59% of cis women and 41% of trans and non-binary musicians. 45% of cisgender men uh, reported having made purchasing decisions, specifically choosing uh, to per not to purchase from a company very frequently, frequently, or sometimes based on a company's treatment of cisgender women, transgender individuals, and non-binary individuals. And that's compared to, so 45% compared to 52% of cis women and 58% of trans and non-binary respondents. And across genders, hiring more cisgender women, trans, and non-binary employees was recommended as the most important strategy for change in the industry with 57% of cis women, 50% of trans and non-binary folks, and 28% of cis men ranking at highest, with marketing and training coming up as higher priorities for men. So personally, I have a few thoughts or interpretations of these findings, and we'll get to everybody else's thoughts in a minute. Uh, so first, how many negative experiences does one need to have in a space before they decide to leave the space entirely? And I did put this question to a few of this episode's interviews, interviews as well, and so stay tuned for that. Two, if such a large portion of musicians make purchasing decisions based on a company's treatment of cis women, trans, and non-binary folks, what will it take for companies who haven't addressed this issue yet to make change? And we'll get into some of that in our interviews as well. Three, 
With so many folks having negative experiences in the industry, it's no wonder people have trouble with hiring, right? <laughs> like, why would people want to work there? And while hiring and training need to work in tandem, it's extremely important for folks to see those who are like them in music spaces in order to feel comfortable there. And they won't stay longer than three months if the folks they work with aren't trained or up to speed with working with folks who are different from them. Music stores... Uh, as the main point of, you know, IRL contact for folks are extremely important touch point for many musicians. However, they are often the most likely to be the points of negative experiences. And, you know, as mentioned, with so many options, in order for them to stay alive, as if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, is very important to me, they need to be more intentional around the experiences they are creating for customers and employees. So that was my very, very quick take. And if you want more, you can download the report. There's 24 pages awaiting you if you want to dig in. But now it's time to hear some takes from a whole bunch of other awesome folks about this. And a quick, uh, few quick notes before we dig into the interviews. Regarding the NAM interviews in particular, I am speaking loudly through a mask, so my voice sounds kind of weird, like I'm yelling, but it's sort of muffled, and you can hear that in a few other folks as well, which is just kind of funny. Um, <laughs> also, because folks are in different settings with different recording devices, the sound will range a lot throughout the responses, though I really did try my best to even things out. So... Uh, an important note is that for folks who were responding at NAM, I basically presented the four data points I just shared with you. But, you know, clearly NAM is not an environment that is necessarily conducive to non-distracted deep thought about a topic. So I really appreciate that those folks still shared thoughtful responses in that setting. So nice job, folks, <laughs> after I share some like weird charts with you in the middle of a uh, convention. So A plus. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, not everyone answered the exact uh, same questions, um, though many had overlap. Um, and, you know, so some people respond to one question or a different one. But overall, um, you'll see that most people responded to most of them. Um, and sometimes people would respond to like one question and the response would fit better somewhere else. So there's that. Um, yeah. So I tried to put it together for you in a way that is uh, cohesive and makes sense. And I think that it will do a good job to tell the story of people's experience and the interpretation of a lot of folks within the industry um, as to, you know, the meaning behind some of this data. All right. So let's hear what folks have to say. We'll start with some introductions to the interviewees and, you know, what's new at their companies. And, you know, this was NAM anyway. So first, here is a NAM intro from my conversation with Emily Harris from Get Offset. Emily, what's up? Hey, how you doing? I am feeling so alive. So... So alive-ish. I like that we're sitting here on this very black carpet wearing all black. We're just blending in, you know? It's camouflage. That's right. It's the camouflage of NAM. It's namouflage. Namouflage. Yes. Yes. Good dad joke. Thank you. I'll be here all night. Uh, yeah. So so uh, what, have, what, what are your feelings on NAM so far? How's it feeling? I am shocked at how many people are here. It's, it's overwhelming. Uh, just after having been to summer NAM last year where it was very empty and dead, this place is almost too full. Like, I just feel like they could have had more vendors actually to kind of help dissipate the crowds a little bit. 
Like, honestly, I'm having trouble, like, getting people to talk to me at the booths. It is, it is, it's funny because I feel like, I'm sure compared to last summer, to last summer's NAM, uh, NAM, it is a lot of people, but compared to last year, when I was here, or last time I was here, it was actually, it feels like half the size, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely half the size, uh, but I, just understanding what the floor plan used to be, as far as the crowds, like, I, it just feels very, um, like, per, like, like, per square footage, it seems like there's a lot of people. And uh, also this lovely red dot that says, don't touch me. Which I immediately did. Yeah, well, I mean, I just, you can touch me, you can give me a hug. But I just don't want people to come up and touch me like literally ever in my life. Like, oh, shaking hands, guess what? I've never liked that. It's hilarious because I oftentimes, I, I am a person, I'm not a big hugger generally, but I feel like post COVID, I'm like, I feel I almost miss it. I get it. I get it. Like I, I've hugged uh, just the people that like I really want to. Fair, fair. All right. Well, thank you for not being upset. I do. I was going to talk also about. I do appreciate the little um, the badges. They let you mark colors to tell you whether you want to hug, like whether you, it's okay to uh, hold. Uh, I was going to say hold hands to shake hands with somebody. I'm going to hold hands with everybody from now on. That's my new thing. Yeah. The the green is like go like. Hold hands, hugs, open mouth kissing, all of those things. All the PDA. All the PDA of varying levels of parental ratings. Yeah. I'm feeling good about it. All right. So you can hear there a little bit about the vibe at NAM, which I think was dependent on whether you've been there before or not. Very different experiences, but it, it was a little bit wild, but there was still some of that NAM vibe there. So there's that. But let's get in a little bit to uh, our interviewees and their favorite gear that they brought to NAM. So let's start with Anna from Earthquaker Devices. So, so, uh, so obviously you have a new pedal, the special cranker. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. That came out end of April, so it's not technically like a NAM release since this was kind of like a different NAM. We didn't do a big NAM release like mm -hmm. we usually do. But it is still the new release. Um, it's been doing really well. It's the biggest release we've ever done. It is a $99 overdrive like the plumes, but it's a really different kind of overdrive. It's like a transparent low to medium gain overdrive that really retains the character of your amp. And people have been loving it so far. It's like a upgraded version of the uh, speaker cranker that we used to do that was like a pedal that became everyone's favorite as soon as we discontinued it. <laughs> it was a misunderstood pedal because with one knob and the name speaker cranker, people thought it was a boost, but it was an overdrive. Right. And now with the special cranker, I think people are understanding it's an overdrive. Right. And it sounds great. So people have been pretty receptive to it, which is really nice to see. All right. Up next, we have Marisa from New Neighbor. Uh, today we have the Illumin Reverb pedal, which we launched in this last year. It's got... Um, 20 different reverb effects, 50 factory presets, 50 user presets, stereo ins and outs, expression, MIDI, all the bells and whistles. All right, let's say hello to Mitch from Empress. Also, you know, we're showing our standard pedals. The Zoya is always fun. We have compressors and um, yeah, I love our compressors and they're new, newish. We don't have anything really new, but. Those compressors look, they, they're the most fun and interactive-looking compressors out there, right? Yeah, they light up. They've got gain reduction and uh, metering, so you know what your compressor's doing, which is rare. Right. And you can 
do crazy bass solos. That's important, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Loud ones. All right. Up next is Carlos from Third Man. Um, I want to tell people... Uh, we did the triple graph last year, and I want to remind them about it because it's never forget the triple graph. Yeah, the triple graph is a really cool and exciting pedal made by Copper Sound, based in Massachusetts. Uh, we also have uh, our latest installment, that our partnership with MXR, our Double Down. Um, that's going to be it's an, it's unavailable right now, but it will be available around fall winter, I would say. But that's something something exciting to look forward to. All right, now we have Christian from Eventide. Well, we have our new Dot .9 pedals that we're finally able to debut in a, not a pandemic scenario. Hey! It's much of it, yeah, <laughs> so, which is great. So it's nice to just see everyone out here at, at NAM, like functioning as as close to normal as we can, you know, can get or hope to expect. All right. Next, we have Sylvie from Red Panda. We have right now on our pedal board all of our V2 pedals. Um, this is every pedal we make. Um, the most recent of which being the raster, um, which is a pitch shifting delay. All right, and now we have Tim from Ernie Ball Music Man. Sure, uh, some of the stuff that we kind of slapped together very quickly, but we've been working on for years at the same time is the Kaizen, uh, which is a new model, and it's it's something that we worked on for years with Tosin Abasi. Um, and it's not a signature, but it's a design collaboration between Tosin and Music Man where we got to do a lot of new things that we've never done, like fan frets and uh, a trem with fan frets in extended range, which is really cool. Um, and it's almost an art piece just as much as a, as a really rad guitar with an insane musician. Um, so we're really excited. We got to debut that uh, yesterday, and, and it's been received really, really well. Um, and then on top of that, uh, some of the other stuff that I'm pretty excited about is the new HT series uh, instruments, which are new pickup technology that we put into some guitars. Um, and they're familiar designs as far as the guitars are concerned, but the pickups are something that really added a new tonal range and breadth to the sound without like doing something too intense. You know, they're not, um, they're not super high output that's gonna be buzzy or anything. It's, it's a, just a really nice sound on the guitars. So those are the two things I'm, I'm really psyched that we kind of got to debut uh, here. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you all have been doing a lot of, like it's like uh, reaching out beyond doing some like different engineering, new partnerships, that kind of thing, which is cool. 100%, yeah. So the, the whole thing with Tosin really kind of was like, there's brands that partner together and make cool stuff like fashion brands or car brands and things like that. And we're like, well, why can't two guitar companies kind of do something together? And although it's not a, a Bossy Concepts and Music Man partnership, it is Tosin, who has his own guitar company, but wanted to come together and make something cool with us. And, and that was the result. And, and we've kind of started to see that being... Um, a little bit more accepted. We also did that with Dark Glass. Uh, we have a Stingray bass that has a Dark Glass preamp in it called the Dark Ray. And that was a combination between two brands that, you know, we, we can belong together, but it almost is kind of new and, and something. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming forward and, and really starting to mix that up because the reality is it's 2022 and, and there is no, you know, siloed thought of, of brands anymore. There, there's collaboration abound, so, and I think we'll keep pushing that forward. 
Totally, yeah. I think that's really true, and I, I appreciate that there's more like having the collaboration versus the competition piece of that, like being able to come together yeah. and like be like, actually, we can do some cooler things together, and they're new, and yeah. it's cool. Totally, it, it, I think that it's it's also just the way that the world is going. I mean, you know, it's it's inclusivity, and, and it's it's really just. Um, there's so many brands, there's so many cool things, and to think that you're going to be the top dog all the time by yourself, it doesn't make sense. Love that focus on collaboration. Um, another company that is doing a lot of collaborative work is Chase Bliss, and here is Joel. Well, uh, we're just finishing up Generation Lost Mark Two, and uh, every everybody at Chase Bliss is, is very excited about it. Um, Tom Majeski, who we hired back in November of 2021, has been, uh, he's kind of known for this thing with his other company, Cooper Effects, and um, he's put in a ton of time and effort to just really make what I think we all think is something really special and just playing around with it. It's so fun and inspiring, and I just can't wait for uh for other people to have experiences with it. All right, up next we have Ellis at LEH Guitars. Uh, something I'm excited about. So I definitely am excited about uh, Next Nam, whatever that is. I think it's April. Um, I hope to be rolling out my uh, new medium scale bass. So it'll be 32 inches, not that short, like not a short scale. It's going to retain some of the, the tone and, and everything you love about uh, how nice a 34 sounds, but, um, you know, more accessible for, for folks who maybe don't have quite the, uh, the finger reach. Um, any kind of folk, any kind of human <laughs> with slightly smaller hands. It could even be a cisgendered dude. <laughs> so uh, come on, come on. Love it. All right. Last but in no way least is Philippe from Caroline Guitar Company. I think we'd be hyping Crom, which is a fuzz pedal that we really like, that we just put out that's pretty nasty and makes me feel like writing songs about slaying dragons and stuff and using dark magic and creating an army of undead in a cauldron. And uh, we have a phaser coming out soon. About time. Long overdue. And we're really excited about that phaser. That phaser, our phaser is really fun. It makes us think about, uh, it's less 1970s arena rock phaser. And it makes us think about like the early Hanoi Rocks album and stuff. It's really fun. And there's also another project to work on, but I can't talk about it. Too fun. Too, too many projects. Too much fun. But we're doing cool stuff this year. So, so fun. All right. So a couple people did not mention something that they specifically are working on. So I'm going to mention it for them. So I'm going to start with Aisha from Low Sounds. And uh, they recently made a real beautiful uh, signature fuzz, which is one of their uh, core fuzzes that they make. And um, it's just real nice looking. They make beautiful, beautiful recycled stuff. So you should check that out. And um, if that one is no longer available, I'm sure they have other ones that will be coming up soon. Um, they also have a variety of other pedals and uh, beautiful objects that you can check out on their website. Heather from Heather Brown Electronicals recently came out with the Sensation Fuzz Drive. Um, you may have seen that. Uh, <laughs> I played it on Mother's Day because I played Mother 
by Danzig because that's what you do, obviously. Um, so, but it can do so much more. You can do some real chill stuff. You could do some heavier stuff. It's it's very flexible. So definitely check that out. Also, uh, Emily from at Offset has a new partner uh, of with Joan of Heart, and that's been really cool. Just to you know get to see some new folks. Andrew will be around still some too, but um, Joan's been coming in into the mix as well, which is great. And uh, they also recently had their 200th episode, which I know is a big deal. That's a lot, a lot of work. So uh, congratulations to them for that. Jason from Working Class Music, they recently were featured in Sweetwater Magazine, which is amazing. They've been doing some collabs here and there with them at GearFest, and then also uh, recently had uh, been doing some work on Guitar House, which is with a bunch of other demo artists, including Emily, but also um, the folks from 60 Cycle Hum, a bunch of other folks too. So check them out. All right, moving right along. So as I'd mentioned, uh, I went around basically at NAM and, you know, asked people what they're, you know, excited about, what gear they brought that they wanted to talk about. And then I, I showed them the data. And after that, asked them whether or not the data surprised them. Was this something they were expecting? Was it something that was unexpected? And got kind of a range of answers, although you'll see that there is some consistency as well. So let's get started. First, here is Jason from Working Class Music. So after looking at the data, um, I can't say I'm really surprised, uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, given my experience working retail music stores for over a decade now, um, I, I think that data is very accurate. And it's scary because I've seen, I've seen people of color, any marginalized group of people come in, and they are treated differently as opposed to, you know, their white counterpart. Um, some people are stereotyped in the sense of like, oh, they think you play a certain instrument or they don't think you're playing. Or, you know, if you are a woman, they assume that you're buying for someone else. They don't ask questions and it's just kind of how people will show interest in you in a retail environment like that. And so seeing that firsthand and cringing, because <laughs> uh, I've always tried to maintain treating everyone equally, um, I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm really surprised at all. Um, I still think we've got a ways to go. Julie from Earthquaker Devices. No, it doesn't surprise me. It does disappoint me. It is difficult to you know, see this and not be disappointed, um, especially if what you're going for is gender equity. We're clearly pretty far off in our industry. And I guess that I'm not surprised because I'm just so aware of how many, you know, bad experiences um, people have around gender and the music industry. So. No, it's not surprising. Okay, now we have Christian from Eventide. Um, well, I mean, just through a cur my cursory first read there, I think it is pretty expected. I think there are definitely some biases in music. I think we're, I mean, some gender biases for sure. I think we've made steps in the right direction. I mean, I know that just in my personal experience, that never plays into, I work with a, a ton of artists, I do artist relations at Eventide. I personally never look at any of that. It's either you're a 
cool artist that I want to work with or not. Despite whatever your creed, belief, gender is, like I never try to look at that. That is, I mean, this data is, unfortunately that's just societal, you know, that's just a product of our society. It stinks, but hopefully we can keep progressing to where it's, everybody's on a treated, on an, uh, a level playing field, you know? All right, Aisha from Low Sounds. You know, I wish I could say that it does surprise me. It doesn't. I know things like feel like they're getting better in a lot of ways, but we still obviously have pretty far to go in this regard, in my opinion. Up next is Heather from Heather Brown Electronicals. No, it does not surprise me. Uh, why does it not surprise me? Uh, it just tracks with, you know, my lived experience, as I'm sure, you know, others feel the same. Um, you know, just growing up playing guitar, um, you know, I've been working in the industry since I was like 17, kind of like you, um, yeah, it all tracks, I mean, (laughs) you know. Nothing new under the sun there. Uh, And yes, it sucks. As you can see, we got a little bit of a pattern going here. (laughs) Up next is Ellis from LEH Guitars. I guess I wish I could say that I am surprised, Um, but I've been working in this industry for about 20 years and uh, this this looks about right. This looks correct. Um, All right, now we have Joel from Chase Bliss. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Um, just hearing from friends in the industry and people that work for Chase Bliss about their personal experiences, it it's really consistent with the the data here. So, uh, no, unfortunately, no, it does it does not surprise me. All right, Philippe from Caroline Guitar Company here, adding a little bit more uh, context. Does this data surprise me? No, it doesn't. Uh, the data doesn't, unfortunately, surprise me because we see it in our social media. Uh, we get reports on our followers from Instagram and Facebook, and it's been kind of a running joke among several of us in the industry about trying to break the 10% barrier. Right now, our social media is usually about 90% male and 10% female. And uh, when I remember once I posted a screenshot and shared it with uh, Julie Stillman from Earthquaker Devices, where we had 11% female followers, and she said, whoa, where are you finding all those ladies? Um, but in an industry that is that overwhelmingly cisgendered male, then you can be sure that there's 10% identifying as female or less, and then the numbers for trans and non-binary go even lower. And uh, as a result, you also see some stuff where regarding the behavior and treatment in social media and in um, in-person situations in retail, I've seen that for years, and it's unfortunate. And I think Fender addressed this a bit with their play app where they realized just a large number of women do not want to be 
in music stores for that reason. They would rather just use the Play app and uh, take lessons online. And I think that's a wonderful thing that they can do. But so much of what you learn musically isn't just from a direct teaching experience, but also among peer-to-peer sharing of things that are exciting and new and interesting and techniques and workarounds and uh, all of that stuff becomes huge. And we need to find ways to bring in women and non-binary and trans people into that experience so that they can learn from that and also share into it as well. Um, I mean, I can't begin to think of all the stuff that I've learned just from people saying, wait, whoa, you've never used this or hold on, you can play that this way. It's easier or hold on. Let me show you how to do these kind of tunings and stuff. It's really huge. All right. Up next is Mitch from Empress, who's going to add a little bit additional context. I mean, I think, I don't know if I would say it's surprising. Disturbing, yes. Surprising. Unfortunately, probably not. It just, it makes um, some data that I've seen in the past make more sense. Because I saw in the past, um, Fender did a study, I think, that was like, half of new guitars are purchased um, by uh, women, and then they don't purchase another guitar. And that would explain why. Um, yeah. So, I, I yeah. Did uh, the the data around men uh, making choices around their purchases was was that a surprise to you, or was that left not a surprise? Um, kind of. Not really. I don't know. I think um, when a company like shows. When a company takes initiative to to do something to make things right or to correct an imbalance, I think it inspires every, maybe everyone. Um, I think the number was actually a little low. Uh, Interesting. Then, but you know, if there's that many toxic people in the music industry, then then maybe like you know, they're the others. 58%. All right, here's Carlos from Third Man, and I think he's sharing a perspective that actually would be pretty common among the general musician public. So here we go. Yeah, well, I was surprised that the number of uh, the, the the percentage of the women's feeling that way is still high up that, that and just through all the time and uh, the things that we've gone through in the last few years, you know, I'm just still surprised that those numbers are still high and would really want to work to get them, you know, lower down or like something more equal. All right. Tim from Ernie Ball Music Man sharing his perspective. There, there was a couple things surprising to me that I thought, I honestly thought there would be more, um, like, negative, you know, like, interaction. Because my job is artist relations director for Ernie Ball Music Man, so I work with a lot of male and female artists and, and, and then non-gender a lot as well. And I think that I've heard a lot more stories, I think, than, that, than I would be comfortable even, like, hearing about um, with a lot of artists I've been close with for years. So I think that was a little surprising to me that it, that it wasn't higher, unfortunately. Um, I, I'm not surprised at making the decisions of purchases with, um, with kind of, like, ideals of brands because I think that that's kind of been the way that... Um, brands and, and purchasers have been going because there's so many options now. So if, if a 
um, you know, if someone's trying to buy something and they don't necessarily agree with what that company is doing, they can move to the next company. They can go, oh, I, I, I like what they're doing over here. So uh, I was kind of on board with that one. All right. Marisa from New Neighbor sharing a slightly different take. Not really. No, unfortunately, no. I, I guess the one thing that was surprising was that um, uh, the 40-some percent of cis men made their purchasing decisions uh, based on how companies treated women. Um, that was somewhat surprising. I didn't think that really anyone was considering that. Yeah, so, so what do you think that means for companies? I, I think that should, you know, push companies in a direction to maybe uh, do a little better, like be a little more um, proactive in uplifting women and, you know, centering women. Here's Anna from Earthquaker providing a little bit more detail um, and kind of echoing what Marisa was saying a bit. Um, unfortunately, none of it is surprising as a woman. I feel like the un I haven't really experienced necessarily like um, unwanted comments coming from a, a bad place, but it's more like the ignorance of, oh, are you shopping for your boyfriend? And they just actually think like that's that's normal. Like, why would a woman be in here shopping? Um, one thing I'll say is like we worked at the Fear the Riff um, pedal show in New York a couple of years ago and there were actually zero women there shopping for pedals. It was huh. all men. If there were women, they were girlfriends of oh, guys God. who were shopping. Oh, so the sad thing is I almost sometimes can't blame some of the guys for comments like that because maybe it's like what they see, but right. they see that because they're probably not super welcoming to women and as a result maybe women are shopping online mm -hmm. or shopping in stores where women work and they feel more comfortable mm -hmm. but you know I think women for a long time just felt like intimidated by these music stores because they thought they would get stuff like that right. so it's you know chicken and an egg thing um, <laughs> but in Brooklyn where I live I do see a lot more women working in stores yeah. and I do sales for Earthquaker and I have to like give our dealers a lot of kudos because a lot more of them are putting like women employees in their like Instagram posts, mm -hmm. showing female customers playing instruments. So I think that they're making big strides and a lot of them are hiring more women, mm -hmm. which is really, really nice to see or non-binary people, people of different, you know, backgrounds, mm -hmm. cultures, races. So it's not like all white men as much as it used to be from right. what I can see. I followed up for a second with Anna about the data specifically about men's purchasing decisions. That is surprising because I talk to a lot of like well-meaning men who don't know the discrimination that women face because they just haven't experienced it mm -hmm. and because they wouldn't treat women as lesser than. Mm -hmm. They're just like completely dumbfounded when I tell them what it's like to be a woman or the comments I've gotten or my friends have gotten. Mm -hmm. They like can't believe it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, because that doesn't happen to you and you can't believe it's happening to anyone else. So, I mean, I, I'm happy to see that men are like making decisions based on how companies are treating all kinds of people. That's really nice to see that it's not like, 
oh, women will buy more guitar. It's like everyone will buy more gear if you treat everyone equally. So my final response here is from Emily, who is uh, sort of following up on what Anna was saying, specifically related to the data about uh, men's purchasing decisions. I'm surprised that so many cis men make purchasing decisions based on basically how gear companies treat women and trans people. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be, like, almost half. Yeah, I think that goes to show that something that's perceived as just a woman problem or a trans problem or, like, envy problem, like, it is something that even cis men are are thinking about. And I, I think that's honestly fantastic. But it also goes to show how far behind companies are So as you can see, a lot of people have sort of slightly varied responses to, you know, whether or not they're surprised by this data, which seems to be a lot informed by both their personal experience, their identities, you know, who they're interacting with and, you know, how they're kind of viewing the broader culture and I think, you know, the music industry. And, you know, so I think that, you know, there's lots of different ways you can look at the data and, you know, interpret that how you will. And I think one of the main things here to think about is, you know, like, it's data. (laughs) Those are the numbers. And so uh, if it's something that confirms your belief, that's helpful information. If it's something that doesn't, helpful information, too. All right, moving right along. All right, so now that we know a bit about the data, right, so we know the situation, it's bad, perhaps a murder scene, I don't know, Uh, (laughs) let's talk about why we are in the situation in the first place, right? So I followed up here with a question for folks, which is what barriers do companies face in making the situation better? And we'll start with a response from Heather from Heather Brown Electronicals. I'd say themselves mostly. (laughs) Uh, I mean, when I think about a lot of these larger companies, you know, for decades, they've dumped so much money into targeting the audience that they've created for themselves. And they're kind of screwed. Because that's a small group of people. Uh, it's going to, I think it's probably going to take a lot for them to be willing to risk, like, a short-term hit on profit to make any type of meaningful, authentic shift towards a larger audience. But, you know, one can hope. All right. Jason from Working Class Music sharing a somewhat similar sentiment. Companies, you know, they are beholden to the almighty dollar. However, they know when it's in their financial interest to reflect certain diversity. And it's disingenuous. Like, you know, during February and June, we see the signs and it's just like, but every other month, some of these companies don't care. Uh, however, I think there are brands that do and you see it reflected in their marketing. So again, I guess the biggest hurdle more so is the company themselves. All right. Here is Emily from Get Offset. I literally think that they don't think it'll work. And I think that's kind of a part of it is they don't want to make the investment into it if they don't think it actually matters. All right, here's Philippe from Carolyn Guitar Company going a little bit broader with his response to the barriers to making change here. Well, there's long-standing tradition uh, <laughs> or uh, 
tradition is uh, a fancy word for uh, it when it's something people want to defend. Um, we're in an industry that has been overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly white, has overwhelmingly fostered this kind of idea like you play the guitar to get some chicks. You know, it's just become like this uh, shorthand for uh, the reasonings anyone would ever get into this. And then you also have barriers because a lot of older generations act like uh, normative gatekeepers of things in music and gear. Uh, they comment as to what is real, what is authentic, what is legit, what is traditional, how it should be, the way it was, the way it ought to be. And frequently those are older people with uh, much more conservative or at times even regressive views on um, a whole host of social issues. And, uh, it's tough. It's really tough. And those people, uh, we have a country that tends to uh, defer and respect elders' opinions on things a great deal. Those elders also tend to possess um, a disproportionate share of assets in our country, more so than in other previous generations. All right, here's Joel from Chase Bliss talking a little bit more about barriers companies face. Speaking from personal experience, I think a lot of the, um, there's there's a lot of really small businesses that make up the gear industry because the gear industry just as a whole isn't, isn't all that large. Um, but, but so when, when you're, when you have a new business and you're trying to find in employees, um, you're not always necessarily thinking about these issues because you're so focused on just trying to get the business to survive. And, and I think that a lot of small businesses, when they first start hiring people, it's, it's, you know, networks that, that are, uh, that they just like people that they already are familiar with. They're not really putting a lot of effort in trying to, um, trying to get out of their circle. So I think that that is probably the biggest barrier um, that it's like there's there's already this this industry is dominated by certain populations. So when when uh, people are starting companies, um, they uh, that's 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 all part of it, I think. Here's Anna from Earthquaker digging in a little bit more specifically on challenges with hiring. Well, I think that if a guitar store, for example, puts like a sign up that they're hiring, they might get a lot of males, like a lot of guys coming in to apply, and they might need to change where they advertise to reach more women or non, you know, cis men. And now we have Julie from Earthquaker. Um, I think probably a lot of it is trying to figure out where to start, um, being able to dedicate bandwidth to really focusing on these types of issues. That could be it. Um, there's probably also all kinds of, you know, convincing the people who might control 
how things are run, that this is something important. Um, and then, of course, there's all kinds of dumb stereotypes that people uh, carry, so those might be preventing further progress. All right, next is Marisa from New Neighbor. Well, that's a tricky question. I, I, it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing because, you know, there aren't a lot of women in the industry, so it's kind of, you know, hard to market to women. Uh, you know, but maybe if companies marketed to women, then they'd feel more comfortable getting into the industry. And then, you know, also as far as like casual musicians, maybe this is like getting into a, a little bit more, uh, but, you know, I think um, men tend to have more free time and more money. Uh, so, you know, they can kind of be more of a hobby player and women don't, you know, tend to have so much money or time to spend on their hobbies. So that ties in pretty closely with something that Emily had said as well, right? So like if women, trans, non-binary folks are not spending as much time on hobbies um, or they don't, have, they, don't have, they don't have time to do it or if they don't have the money to do it and if they are then like given other responsibilities, even like let's say when you're a kid, if you are told that you're supposed to babysit but your brother was never told that and he got to like learn how to play guitar that's a very different expectation it's going to put people in a different place right so um, and then there's the additional expectation that you know especially when you're getting older that you're supposed to be spending your time on your kids and on your family and not on additional hobbies so all of that all right so let's see what sylvie has to add to this from red panda so i guess i guess i want to start with like what what the problem is because i i think um I think in this industry in particular, objects are generally more interesting to m male people, like the, the, uh, music gear, like cars, whatever it might be, it's like that kind of industry selects for people of, with certain interests. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't met a lot of other women who are working in this kind of field, um, and I guess if there are barriers that exist, I think they're they're just so like social um, in terms of getting invited to the party, um, literally the party, like where people are hanging out in an informal setting, talking about gear. Um, I think there are certain assumptions people make about whether it's appropriate to invite a girl to that party or if it's just one or two guys hanging out. I don't know if I'm getting that invite because they might. They might think I'm reading into it in a different way, or there's like these kind of unspoken um, parameters, I guess, in how those invites happen. And I guess because this is such a small industry, and pedals in particular, I think there is sort of more of an informal networking that happens in those social spaces, and I think that, if anything, is, is where um, it can be harder to, to exist and feel like you belong. So one of the barriers that folks mentioned earlier was sort of formals, right? It's about like formal hiring. How do people find out about a job? Where is it being posted? Um, that kind of thing. But this, I think, gets to some of the more nuance there. So informally then, like what is one's experience about like learning about those jobs sort of informally if you're not in spaces where people are talking about gear? But then once you're actually in the job, what is your experience like there? Do you get to be a part of the crowd? Like are you invited to things? Do you literally get invited to the party, right? 
So then I had a follow-up question to all of this, which I then posed to a couple of people. And here are Mitch and Emily responding. I think sometimes about like that data, like how many of those negative experiences do you, do you have to have before you're like, well, I'm done. You know, like I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to deal with it. Right. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think many, because even as like, even as like a young kid, a white male kid going into Guitar Center, for example, going into a music store and not being able to play very well, it's, it's intimidating to me. Um, it's scary. Right. I don't want to pick up a guitar when I, when the guy next to me is going, dee -dee 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 -dee. and I like I can I don't know I can strum a C, <laughs> I can make a C shape on acoustic guitar. Um, so I think there is there's something fundamentally fundamentally toxic that I don't have the words or the understanding of of music uh, gear culture specifically that. Yeah, it needs to change. I think it's a really low number. And I, because I, I don't want that to happen to me ever, typically. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Uh, you don't like being part of someone else's gaze in a way. Um, another thing from that, that information was that men always say, oh, well, guys get talked down to in guitar stores too. Most of, like, almost all women and trans and non binary people do. And like 16% of men report feeling that way. That's it. So when I say like, yeah, sometimes, but it's worse, more frequent for women. Right, and they're and the men are noting because the question is asking about gender. So they're acknowledging like they they might be getting talked down to, but it's not because of their gender. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good distinction to make. Um, that's some funky bass. All right, and last on this question is Ellis from Leh Guitars. I guess the thing, I don't know, it's, I'm, I'm trying not to be a bummer. I'm trying not to be a downer. Um, I don't know, some of it is also kind of kind of depressing a little bit, um, especially the part about uh, diversity hiring, bringing change, because it, it makes me think of, of, you know, my experience working in shops, and uh, I definitely know that a shop, uh, I'll say a, a, former, a former place I used to work, um, the environment was changed while I was in it, um, while I was physically there. Uh, a sick day would shift it, shift it maybe not completely back. I don't know how the elasticity of uh, change, how fast it snaps, but um, you know, on a sick day, it would be a different shop than a day that I was physically there. All right, so I think that Ellis hits on a super important point there uh, with regard to hiring, right? So, every, you know, a good portion of folks said that hiring is the most important thing to do to make change, right? And I think that's true. But as mentioned, it has to be in line with training, with marketing, with the policies that you're creating, with being intentional around your culture, right? Like it, one person alone is not going to change a whole company. That's just not how it works. And so it's, it's important to be, you know, really thinking about the ways that this functions across the entire company and not just, you know, hoping that, that you're going to be able to hire one new person and that's going to shift the entire culture because it's not, it has to be something that is planned, that's thought out and 
done well and done right. So with that, let's get a little bit into overcoming these issues, right? That was the next question I had for folks was like, how do you overcome these barriers to make change? And these are some of their responses. And we'll start here with Ellis as well. To, I don't know, stop stop going to those shops. Like, and also support shops that are doing, um, I don't know, make, making their doors open to everybody and making everyone feel like they can come in and know a lot or a little and it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, music shouldn't be partitioned off or, or discouraged, you know? That's the opposite of what music is about. All right, more about overcoming barriers from Mitch from Empress. Barriers, um... Maybe just like education, like education, just being aware of that. Like I wasn't aware of those things before you, you know, showed me the stats. Um, So like awareness in general of how toxic it is. I think when you, and I think, you know, you vote with your dollar in this industry and, or like not vote with your dollar, but whatever, you know, you, you, you're, you choose who to support and there's companies that are making a lot of money that don't have to change and don't have to do anything you know um so i think a lot of it's just like laziness and they've got maybe the other 58 percent of men that don't care that like they can sell to regardless of what they do all right marisa from new neighbor you know i think finding women who are out there and playing and kind of amplifying those voices um and just in general, having a more like welcoming culture. Um, yeah, don't. I. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm making an assumption here, but it seems like um, you know some men assume that women aren't interested in the technical side of things, or you know they just don't care about that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know. Maybe if they were more open to thinking like, oh, anyone could be into this, then that would be helpful. Up next is Carlos from Third Man. Uh, maybe doing a little bit more of a showcasing of, you know, these female artists that are like drummers, I think, is a really uh, big thing for me. I'm a drummer myself, so every time I see a, a, a female drummer or anybody just that can do anything that a man can do. So it just, it, it gives me, it makes me happy to see that, you know, all these women, men, you know, that collaborate together, you know, it's, it's all equal and we can all like share the same experience together. And here we have Christian from Eventide. Yes, I think if, if you know, if, if a company is not supporting those people and you're not going to, you know, you're going to take a stand and not purchase them, I fully support that. Like that is your, you know, you, I don't think you should support those types of companies. <laughs> I think if you're going to exclude people, there's no room for that in music. Music is a language, language of inclusion. So, I support I support that, and I, I just want to be inclusive toward everyone. Here's Tim from Ernie Ball talking a little bit about their specific experience around overcoming barriers. Yeah, I, I think that, well, number one, unfortunately, I think there's still just a lot of antiquated thought um, because, you know, the way that things have been evolving and, and um, getting better, there's still a lot of hangers-on of, of kind of the way things have always been, quote-unquote, and it just assumptions. I mean, I remember even just three years ago, 
uh, we were here at the NAMM show and, and we were doing some signings with uh, Hailstorm. So Lizzie Hale was doing some signings. And this guy behind me goes, yeah, she's a pretty good guitar player for a girl. And I was like, dude, it's 2020. Like, what are you doing? And and I was like, she's a fucking good guitar player, period. Yeah. You know? And she's probably better than you. And she's probably better. Like, you're here at the NAMM show as an attendee and she's here as an artist. So let's, let's go ahead and put that one there. So I think... I think a lot of the hurdles are number one, kind of shaking that that antiquated thought that's still there and still clinging on because there's a lot of powers that be that still run everything that have that old thought. Um, there's also just I think uh, when people do want to make a change or do start to do new things, it's a tricky balance because you want to do it for the sake of doing it, and you're like, you're right, we should change, but it's hard to make a switch and not seem like it's fake. And not seem like you're doing it because you think you should, like, you know what I mean? Performative. Exactly. Because even if it's all well-intentioned and, you know, like, let's say, oh, we want to get more, you know, non-white male on our roster. Well, for us to go out and try to, like, make that happen right now, it it seems fake, even if it's not fake. Um, So I think that's tricky for brands, I will say. even though we've we've always kind of not looked at it in that type of way, for certain brands, if they're trying to make a conscious effort to to really be better about things, it you get called out very easily if it seems fake. So, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's harder, especially, and it's intimidating for companies when they're first starting to do that because that's when it is like the most, like it feels the least genuine. I think in some cases, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I I think it is scary because because you're like. You know, let's say someone just gave you the the go, the green light, do whatever you want to do, work with whoever you want to work with, push everything in there. And then people are like, well, you didn't do that last year. So clearly this isn't real. This isn't genuine. But it could just be that we finally got the green light. You know, we finally were able to make this happen. And so I think that's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you think companies can make that feel more genuine? Uh, I mean, I think just slowly making the transition if you have to, but also just kind of saying, who cares? Just do it. I, I think because people will call you out very easily, but people also forget very easily about things. So you should do what's genuine for you. You should do what makes sense. I mean, when we started working with St. Vincent and, you know, she had been a, a friend of the brand for years already playing. And we're like, let's just do this design. I mean, we immediately got people saying st- like negative things about it and saying she's not a great player or whatever because she's not a typical shredder at- in people's minds. But we were just like, who cares? She's rad. She's she's been close with our you know the Ball family for years and like personal close and all of that. So we support her as an artist and we just wanted to do something cool. Um, so I think it's just be genuine, start doing the transition and. You know, negative will come quick, but negative disappears quick, too, as long as it's truthful and real and good. Really good points from Tim. And, you know, would you rather get pushback from trying to do the right thing or from not trying to do the right thing? Right. Like, I think we both have the we have the answer here. We know what we should be doing is trying. The thing is, is like people are so worried about the pushback that they don't do anything. If you're worried, you can just ask five people who are. Uh, not cis heterosexual men and uh, who are not white, reach out, ask them, see what they think, hopefully pay them, and hopefully you will get your answers to what the next direction should be for you. Up next is Philippe from Caroline. Well, as cynically as people might say it was about marketing, Fender really did kind of punch people in the face about this when they pointed out 50% of the new guitar buyers are female. And uh, or identify as female. 
And I think that was a real punch to the face uh, because a whole bunch of other gear companies weren't seeing that or weren't recognizing it and then weren't willing to adjust their practices around it. Um, but I also think uh, there's more to this. I mean, it. I almost don't know where to start because... We can talk about it in a hiring way and you're dealing with a pool that still seems overwhelmingly in the gear world still seems overwhelmingly dude dude or dudish um and that applies not only to the people who follow you but also the people who are constantly messaging you inquiring about employment opportunities and for us we have felt like it's been incredibly important for us to be actively trying to recruit women. We think women and non-binary people who we think would represent our brand well and would benefit from a chance to shine in this industry. I think that's a real challenge. Um, it really is, uh, but it has to happen. We have to start breaking down these walls for this because the younger generations have much more progressive ideas about uh, sexual orientation, about gender, about representation than the older generations do. And those younger generations are going to be the ones with purchasing power soon. Uh, they're going to be the ones who set the limelight and are at the center stage of this. Um, but also, finally, we, we got to admit something. And I saw a tweet that was great about this. It said, if women don't like it, it can't be cool. And I think about this now, not only women, but uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, um, and non-binary people can be included in this as well. It's like if it's only a party for duders, <laughs> it can't be cool. I mean, it's just a... That's not cool. Uh, that's just a. It's a. It's a if you if you go, if you went to a if you went to a bar or a club and it was nothing but dudes, it's not that cool. And uh, that's what some of this is turning into. Um, I do think uh, there is. I think we need to look to other industries about how to break this. I know. Uh, I've been fascinated uh, with how camping stuff, which is also very gear driven, um, how camping stuff has kind of broken past this a lot. And uh, I'd like to end outdoors activities and things. And I'd be fascinated to see if some lessons from that industry can be applied towards the music and gear stuff. If it's a party just for duders, it isn't cool. Uh, I think I'm going to get that tattooed all over my body. I think Philippe should look into some merch opportunities, some T-shirts, you know, uh, really going somewhere with that. The other point uh, that I think was important was that he is specifically going out and actively recruiting folks who are not cis, het, white men um, for these positions for all the reasons we just discussed, right? Like people are, are not going to necessarily actively seek them out themselves. So they need people to actively come to them. Um, so 
really important points. And with regard to hiring, Anna from Earthquaker is going to dig in a little bit more on that now. Um, so like we talk about this at Earthquaker, like maybe you have to change where you post your ads to reach a more diverse group of candidates. You have to get a little bit creative. Maybe you go to a music school and you advertise there instead of just like on your Facebook page. Um, so I think it's just probably like it's easier to be like, oh, this guy's friend, this other guy will hire him. And it's or maybe there's a woman who, you know, you might give a little bit more training to and help her develop into the role. And that might cost you a little bit more time. But in the end, it's going to be better for your business because more women will want to shop there. So, you know, I think people do what's easy, but you might have to do what's what's worth it in the end. Anna had some really good points on ways to open up your hiring process, right? So as we've mentioned a couple times here already, like how do you not hire just your friends, right? And this is how you do it. It's very easy, especially when you're just starting um, or you're just used to doing it that way to just hire people you know or people who reach out to you. But um, there are some real benefits from actively opening up and trying to hire people outside of your immediate vicinity and a friend group. So here's Emily to talk a little bit more about hiring. There's so much to say. And also the other chart that interested me was about half of, uh, what were the, the categories, women? Women, women trans, non-binary. Yeah, half of women and half of trans, non-binary people think that hiring is the biggest thing that brands can do. And just like a fraction of cis men. So like they care, but they also don't agree with how to solve the problem. I agree that most brands, there's really two things they can do. They can do marketing and they can do hiring. And those are the things about which they have a lot of control. And that's where I've gone into discussions with uh, brand owners that I think maybe aren't doing enough. And they're like, well, I'm just a pedal company. I'm like, yeah, but there are these two things that you can do. And listen, I know sometimes it's hard to hire women in some of these roles. I was actually just talking with um, a woman today who's like the marketing director at a big pedal company that I won't name uh, because it was like not on the record or anything. But even she was like, it's sometimes really hard to get women to apply. And part of it is that women will traditionally only apply if they hit every single thing in that, in that, in that job posting. And men will more often apply if they hit most of them. Right, it's like 80% or something. Men will apply if there's like 80% and women, or, or men will apply if they've done 80% and women have to be 100%. Yeah, which is funny because personally my husband doesn't like to apply for things if it's not 100%. I'm like, well, let me talk to you about, about what a wish list is, what job posting is, it's a wish list. And like, you don't, maybe there's a perfect candidate who technically hits everything, but there's something else that doesn't jive. Like, you don't know, you just have to apply. So I do want to implore women to apply, and I want to implore brands to do more to make sure that they're not just hiring their friends, because it takes work. It takes work to expand your social circle past people who look like you, have the same life experience as you, and that's, it's hard. And I will be the first one to say it's not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, especially when it's like hiring, but even just like making those relationships with artists, it, it's, I don't know, it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing. That's that's the thing that I think about a lot too, right? Because it's like, I think hiring will change, inherently change things, but people don't want to work there if the, they're going to go into a place and people haven't been trained or they the policies suck, like they're not going to want to be there. 
or they'll stay there for three months and then leave. So it's like, yeah, it goes both ways because you do the hiring is the key thing. But if you think that the training alone is going to fix it, you're wrong. No, because it just can't. And it's, you know, there has to be both. And you talk about like, oh, well, you know, men buy more pedals or gear or men are on the charts more. It's, it, but the, like the farther you get down into like the beginnings, it's a lot more equitable. Like it's a lot more even keeled. And then as bands get bigger, women just don't get as many opportunities because people, there's like the tokenism applied for women and people of color, especially in certain genres that like one's enough. Like I can't put another woman on this bill or another person of color on this bill because I already have one. And uh, like I grew up listening to women talk about that openly. Like, like one of my favorite singers would always talk about like getting booted from a bill she was already on because they already had a woman or girl as they probably said right that's a big pet peeve of mine like stop calling adult women girls please yeah it's not okay no and part of it is like I feel like there are also certain people who think it's fine for girls to have hobbies but then once you are an adult woman like your hobby should be your family. And I think that there's a little bit of that in my brain, which might be a me problem, but uh, I don't know if it is a No, I think that there's judgment that people get if they have an outside hobby, uh, especially for women, if your job is to be taking care of your family, to take care of the kids, to do the household, like the, the private sphere interior stuff of the house, being outside out in the world is like counter to that. Yeah, I think it really is. And that's a big reason I, that's one of the biggest reasons I think we should really stop saying like girls. And it's not just because you don't say boys, it actually matters. And it's it's like when I get on brands about like, your artist page doesn't have any women on it. Oh, it's just an artist page. Like, yeah, it's one of the two things that you can do differently is to get more women on your artist roster, give them those opportunities that come with that which is a little more visibility um, among certain groups of people. Like Sarah, like Sarah Lipskate. Lipskate? Yeah. She, oh God, I'm just like, I had a moment where I'm like, did I say the wrong name? Uh, she, she's phenomenal and obviously deserves so much success by her own right. I found out about her because she was an Earthquaker artist. And I don't think that's an uncommon way for people to discover bands and performers uh, for them to be in, you know, advertisements or promotional videos or demonstrations or even just an artist page and getting promoted by the brand. I think that's a great way to actually support the music and the musicians who um, are making music with your products. So that's why it's always shocking to me when I see an artist page that has 7% women on it. Like, okay. Women are more than 7% of guitarists. Lots of good notes there from Emily. We talked for quite a while about this at NAMM. Um, and as you can see, a lot of these points are actually pretty interconnected. Um, and now we're going to hear a little bit from Aisha from Low Sounds about this as well. Um, in my opinion, it even comes down to the manufacturing of the gear before it even gets anywhere else. For example... Um, I still haven't found a guitar body or a bass body that like fits my body. Um, they seem like they're all designed for the male body and so that that's an issue. In my opinion, uh, 
even the manufacturing can speak volumes about uh, talk about a barrier when you're playing an instrument and you get a bruise because your you know your boobs in the way frankly or something of that nature so even coming down to the design and manufacture of instruments I think you know start there start from the beginning um, and take it from there even another good point uh, specifically here around manufacturing you know I love a PVT 40 am I gonna play one I'm never gonna play one because they weigh too much it's just not practical. So thinking of all the ways that we can, you know, make this space more inclusive, if your actual product isn't doing it, you're going to have a problem. And I would say that goes beyond just how heavy is it, but like how, you know, what's the user interface like? How how does the technology work? Is it going to make sense for everyone or just the people that you specifically work with who look exactly like you, right? So trying to expand all of this. Up next, we have Heather Brown with a little bit more on overcoming barriers in the industry. I think accessibility helps create inclusion. So like this hyped exclusive gear culture thing is unhelpful, maybe. Um, you know, whether it's like the prices um, or like drop culture or like physical retail space like whose collections are based on their own uppity snootery we'll call it uh <laughs> like those retail spaces as much as I love some of that gear and appreciate the craft like they can feel like some of the least approachable places and those type of communities online can be such bubbles um so I think there's a lot to do there. Uh, obviously, Roe being overturned is a barrier for the industry. I mean, like women's careers are really at risk. I mean, like they already were. <laughs> uh, I'd say that sets the industry back and whatever companies can do to support their employees' health would be awesome. Uh, I think everyone, manufacturers, retailers and like media companies i think they should bring in outsiders to help them pivot and that they should seriously restructure themselves and their priorities like they it's like they think they can do it from within and that's the reason they're stuck where they're at and that's why any attempt they make will seem inauthentic um i mean it's it's just about who are you hiring? Who are you training? Who are you bringing in? And then who are you promoting and what voices are you amplifying? And people seem to want to skip that first part <laughs> because it's, it's cheaper, it's easier. And that's why so many attempts can seem so hollow. So Heather brings up the point again here around authenticity, right? And Tim mentioned this as well. And I think the point here is that like, yes, you need to really do this for the right reasons. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's going to come through and it's not going to matter if like you get an initial pushback. The issue is when people are doing this because they're like, you know, 
trying to check a box or they're doing it because other people want them to do it or they're doing it to improve their bottom line. And that's when things are going to really come off is inauthentic. Speaking of authenticity, up next, we have Julie from Earthquaker Devices. And if you listen to this podcast for any period of time, you will know that Earthquaker is frequently brought up as a example, a positive example of somebody who's doing a good job around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that they are, you know, you'll see the number of times that Julie here mentions the term intentional. And she would be the first to say that they're not just like accidentally coming into this. Like they're spending a lot of time thinking about it. They're spending money on it. And sometimes it's going to cost more to get there, but they're doing it anyway. Here are some uh, ideas that she has for how to overcome barriers to change in the industry. Um, I think they really need to be intentional about what they're trying to do and create workspaces and stores and music venues that um, are welcoming um, and treat everyone with respect and to really be intentional about their hiring process to encourage diverse candidates um, and really just practice what, you know, what they're hoping they can change, like really take that seriously, keep your eye on it. And um, don't don't slow down in efforts if you're not getting the traction that you're looking for. Um, but I also think like everyone could benefit from really really considering this and what it says about our industry, about us as a society, and what is within their realm of control that they're able to improve on. So, you know, if I was talking to a retail store, I might say, as a part of your orientation, you should have training about stereotypes and biases and really set the standard for how you would want people to be treated. Um, If I was talking to other, you know, gear manufacturers, I would encourage people to be very intentional in their hiring and be very intentional about creating a workplace that is inclusive and welcoming and upwardly mobile for those um, who are joining and making sure everyone feels like they have a seat at the table and their voice is heard. And I think, you know, equity and pay is really important. I think, yeah, providing opportunities for growth is huge. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot that can be done um, to really make things a lot better than they are today. And I hope we do. So Julie mentioned, once again, uh, the issue of control, right? Like, what do companies have control of? And Julie mentioned quite a number of things specifically that companies do have control of. And I think that's in some ways useful for people to be like, actually, I can be a part of, like, making things better. I can be a part, you know, with my within my little company, at the, even at the very least, of making change. And it can even go beyond that if you think about things like representation in in the media that you're helping to create and supporting. So there's lots to do there. And I'm going to end this section with Joel from Chase Bliss, who will talk a little bit about um, some of their more recent efforts uh, around making change within their company. Um, I feel like we're, we've started to do to make a little bit of progress in this area as a company. Um, and really, it 
it's really it's actually this this one's easier and ex- more exciting for me to talk about because I just I feel uh I feel like it was easier than I thought it would be. Um and that's just exciting to me and there also just from a pure business perspective we've gotten so much value in just putting some effort into this. Um so so for our uh i think one of one of the huge th- 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 things when we talk about this is just representation right so you'll see um you don't uh you you see a lot of white men in gear v- videos i should say white straight men um in gear v- videos in gear c- c- companies and in places where, where, um, where, you know, there's, uh, there's visibility in different types of media. And then like, if, 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 if Chase Bliss, for example, if we just put out a job, posting um on our social media or normal channels or whatever we're going to get like a huge influx of of this same type of thing and um what we've tried to do with the last rounds of of hiring that we've done is we've specifically tried to um to get the word out in um in areas where we're 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 hoping to become more diverse as a company regarding gender race sexuality etc and we've we've done that and it's worked out and the people that we've hired are just fucking amazing and they're they they're you know not only wonderful in Employees, but um, they bring a different perspective that is incredibly valuable as um, as a business. And so, um, but it wasn't that hard. Like it, 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 you know, took some effort. It took you know some thought. Um, and so, yeah, we still have a long way to go. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we. It wasn't that hard. The value is immediate, and the people are incredible. So I just think it's worth a try if if you haven't um, to uh, to just be a bit more intentional in hiring um, to get to be more in inclusive and try to get more visibility and representation just within the industry. I think is is a a way that all of this starts to improve. You heard it here first, folks. Joel says it was easier than he thought. And I think that's probably the case. I think people kind of get in their own way uh, about making these sorts of changes. And if you are willing to just take a little bit of time to, you know, set some very quick growth Aside for a brief moment for some more intentional, more long-lasting growth, it's probably really going to be worth your while. So we're closing out here pretty soon. One of the things I want to close out here with is a bit about why this 
data is important. Why are we even talking about this? So obviously people have lots of thoughts about this. I am so thankful for all the people who contributed their smart uh, commentary here. I'm going to finish with some thoughts about why this is important um, from the mouths of some of these folks themselves. Here's Philippe from Caroline Guitar Company. When all you see is, when all you encounter is a male perspective on this, that becomes what you associate as normal. And then everything else becomes exceptional, as opposed to everyone being treated as people. Um, I think that's the best way I can put it. Just when, when, when all you, when all you hear from are, is the, when all you hear is the male perspective on what kind of gear, what kind of sounds, what kind of music, what kind of art is acceptable, that ends up setting norms that aren't necessarily accurate or true. Now, Ellis from LEH Guitars. I mean, I think the data is important, especially because, um, I don't know, it could be easy to deny things or, or, or it's more comfortable always to, to see things how you, you think they are. Like, you know, I think I've done a great job or I think things have changed for the better, blah, blah, blah. But um, if they clearly haven't. <laughs> Up next is Jason from Working Class Music. This data is important because in the world of music and, as you know, in our gear culture, people have varying opinions on this. They, have, they can have whatever opinions they want, but this data kind of proves that they're wrong. And the thing that I love about data is we can't argue with it being right or wrong. It is what it is, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's presented to us. So anytime, you know, someone... Or a company says, well, you know, we think otherwise, you can point to this data and use it saying, no, this this is what it is right now. And I think this data is important to show because it can kind of help push the change that our gear community needs. And it can push the change of being more inclusive because maybe if, you know, we don't know which store it will be, but you can take this data to like some corporation. And if they see this and they see that, hey, maybe if we tried, you know, these methods of being more inclusive and being a place where everyone is welcomed, um, you know, where, you know, you have people of different colors, different genders, different everything. And, you know, they see themselves reflected. You would see a more inclusive music environment as a whole. And that is why this data is important, because it's a huge step in making this music environment more so a very inclusive environment where it doesn't feel like anyone is being pandered to and everyone is being represented. All right, we're going to close out here with Heather Brown from Heather Brown Electronicals. I think a study like this is absolutely for the larger audience and not just for retailers. Because companies that haven't already tried to make substantial shifts aren't going to do shit unless they see it's going to affect their bottom line. And I know this study spells that out, but they're not going to read this and see it for what it is. Like, when has that ever happened? Like, uh, they need to hear it from their customers. 
And a study like this is powerful because it's not an opinion. It's just a fact. Like whole groups of people have been excluded from this scene for far too long. Which is mind-blowing because it's, it's at odds with the larger music entertainment community. And people should be given the tools and the information to have a voice in this. It should be a discussion for a long time. And I, just, like, I think about things like that Fender study that came out a while back. And it's really a shame because, like, as far as I know, really, like, nothing substantial has been published since. And, I mean, at the time, that information gave people some people like a huge sense of solidarity it was a big discussion at the time but I mean like that's just the beginning there's so much more to talk about and I swear if someone cites that fender study one more time I'm gonna barf (laughs) because it was so long ago and just baffled people for some reason (laughs) and the rest of us are like yep (laughs) no guys this is for real like It's like, that can't be the conclusion. That's not where this conversation stops. And stuff like this needs to be published more. So let's keep this conversation going then. What else can you as an individual or as a company do, right? What are your first steps if this is new? What are your next steps if you've already begun? How can we take this time of like renewal, restructuring, all of that as we move out of the pandemic to build up your company and the industry as a whole to be better, right? As mentioned, if you'd like to dig in further, you can download a brief or longer version of the Gender and Music Year Experiences report on my website at hillarybjones.com. And there's a link in the show notes from this episode. So if you'd like tips on places to start because I don't want to leave you dry here. I have a metric ton of articles on my website on most of the topics discussed here today for both individual musicians, for small builders, for solo luthiers, for larger companies as well, for creating more inclusive spaces in music retail, improving hiring practices, allyship and accompliceship, supporting parents, marketing, social media, representation, inclusive language, and a whole much more. So uh, definitely take a peek into that if you're wanting to hop right in. And based on this research, my own experience as a customer and as someone who's worked in music or retail and nearly every conversation I've had on this podcast, for folks who want more specific and tailored support, I have uh, created an online course focused on music stores and music retail spaces, knowing that retailers also have a harder time finding time to attend in-person trainings. And the course is specifically for owners and managers and will happen over five weeks, including online modules and a weekly in-person session where I'll help with questions or scenarios. Uh, workshops and things. And, you know, folks can also learn from the experiences of their colleagues at other shops as well. Registration is open now and the course starts October 3rd. Since this is a new course, I'll be running it at a discount just this time and and registration is also limited. The course is called No Stairway Denied, Creating Inclusive Spaces in Music Retail for Managers. 
there is a link for more info or to register in the show notes as well. And if you have questions about this, about the Gender Music Your Experiences report, about anything else, please, please reach out to me. And of course, please share the survey data with musicians you know and those in the industry. And remember, it's about getting invited to the party. And if it's only duders at the party, it can't be cool. Thanks so, so much to everyone who participated in the survey. This never could have happened without you, and I deeply value the time you took to complete it. Thanks, of course, to all of the interviewees here as well. Huge thanks to Julie, Anna, and Luke from Earthquaker for helping to provide feedback and sharing the survey. Thanks to Danielle Blazak for data and analysis and to Kelly Pellissier for creating the document itself and related graphics, which you'll see on social media shortly. And thanks to you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>